Hello, welcome to chapter 7 in our series of lessons on Cambridge A-Level Biology. The topic of this chapter is transport and plants. Transport and plants. Introduction. The significance of transport system. Multicellular organisms such as multicellular plants and animals have a large size and low surface area to volume ratio. And as a result, transport of materials from one part of the organism to another by simple diffusion will be slow and inefficient. Cells that require specific substances are usually located at a greater distance from the site of production or site of absorption. And so in order for materials to be transported to the location of need, a specialized transport system is necessary, which allows for large quantities of materials to be transported within a short period of time from one part of the plant to another. What are the structures that constitute the transport system of plants? Number one, we talk about the root, which facilitates transport of materials from the soil into the plant. Number two, we talk about the root ear cell, which is a component, major component of the root. Number three, we have endodermal cells, which play a key role during the transport of mineral ions um, into the um, plant. Number four, we talk about the xylem. Number five, we'll talk about the fluid. So we're going to be looking at these structures. We're going to be looking at how these structures are designed, adapted for their function in plants. First of all, let's start with the xylem. The xylem vessels are made up of xylem vessel elements, which are joined together end-to-end to form long continuous tubes. And the end walls between adjacent vessel elements are absent. That is, they do not have end walls. And this helps to ensure that there is no obstruction or interruption to the flow of materials across the vessel element. These vessel elements are joined together to form long continuous tubes. And these tubes are so long so as to facilitate transport of water and mineral ions over long distances within the xylem. Another important feature to note is that the xylem walls contain cellulose materials, which allows for the addition of water molecules and facilitates the movement of water and dissolved substances across the xylem. Aside from cellulose materials, the xylem also contains lignin, which is a waterproof substance that minimizes water loss from the vessel. Lignin also prevents the collapse of xylem as a result of materials being transported under high tension, under high pressure. Another feature of the xylem is that the xylem vessel elements have no cytoplasmic material. That is, the lumen is empty. There is no cytoplasm, no nucleus, no mitochondria, no cytoplasm within the xylem vessel element. And this helps to ensure uninterrupted flow of materials across the xylem. Faster rates, greater volume of materials can be transported by unit time. Another feature is that the xylem walls contain pits, which allows for the lateral movement of materials from one xylem vessel to neighboring xylem vessel. It also allows water to readily move out of the xylem into neighboring cells and tissues. The pits allow water to bypass any air locks that may form in some parts of the xylem. That's another importance of the pits. The pits are not empty spaces. Rather, they are composed of meshwork of cellulose material that is not thickened with lignin. So every other part of the wall of the xylem is thickened with lignin. But then you have some parts that don't have the lignin deposit. Just have the cellulose there. So those parts are what we refer to as pits. They allow lateral movement of materials laterally from one vessel to another vessel. Xylem has a wide diameter which allows a large volume of water mineral ions to be transported 
through it. So that's another feature of the xylem. Now let's talk about the root hair cells. What are root hair cells? Root hair cells are epidermal cells of the root that are specially adapted for the active uptake of mineral ions from the soil. They possess long tubular extensions of their cytoplasm and cell surface membrane to provide large surface area for the absorption of water and mineral ions. The cell surface membrane contains numerous transport proteins to facilitate active uptake of ions from the soil. The cell surface membrane also contains numerous aquaporins which are specialized water channels that facilitate the entry of water into the cells by osmosis. The root hair cells also possess numerous mitochondria which produce ATP for the active transport of ions into the cell. So these are the features of the root hair cell. Aside the root hair cell, inside the root you also have some cells called endodermal cells. These cells play a special role in the transport of materials through the roots of plants. They possess their, their wall, the wall of these endodermal cells is thickened with a waterproof substance called suberin. And this suberin helps to prevent movement of water and dissolved substances through the walls of these endodermal cells. So for materials to cross the endodermal layer of the root and move into the pericycle and then into the xylem, the water must pass through the cell membrane. That pathway is called the simplest pathway. So I'm going to give more detail about this later on. Now let's talk about the phloem. What is the structure of the phloem? How is it adapted for its function? You know, like phloem, unlike xylem, I mean, the xylem transports water mineral ions from the root to the leaves of the plant. However, the phloem transports organic materials such as sucrose and amino acids from the leaf to the roots to the um, flowers to the fruit. So what is the phloem made up of? The phloem is made up of sieve tubes and each sieve tube is composed of sieve tube elements joined together end to end to form long continuous tube that facilitates transport over long distances. The end wall of the sieve tube elements are fused together to form sieve plates. The end walls of adjacent sieve tube elements are fused together to form sieve plates. And these sieve plates contain numerous pores that allows movement of materials from one sieve element to another. Each sieve plate contains cellular cell wall. Each sieve element, I mean, each sieve element contains cellular cell wall, cell membrane, and minimal cytoplasmic material. You may find some endoplasmic reticulum and some mitochondria there. And this, this cytoplasmic material allows for some metabolic reactions to occur within the sieve element. And it also minimizes resistance to the flow of materials through the sieve element. Each sieve element is connected to one or more companion cell by means of the plasmodes matter. What are these companion cells? These companion cells are living cells that are connected to each sieve element and they, are, they facilitate the process of loading that is the transport of sucrose and other assimilates into the sieve element. What are their features? Number one, they possess all the complete organelles of the cell. They possess nucleus, vacuole, mitochondria, ER, goggle apparatus. Every normal organelle of a cell is present in the companion cell. In addition to that, they possess numerous mitochondria, which produces large amounts of ATP for the um, process of active transport. They also possess numerous transport proteins on their cell membrane, which facilitate the active transport of ions into and out of the companion cell. So those are the features that we have. Now, 
Briefly, before we go into the transport of water and mineral ions, let's talk about the distribution of the xylem and the phloem in the roots, in the stem, and in the leaf. When you do a transverse section of the roots of plants, you're going to see that the, the, the xylem of the plant is arranged to form a cross-like shape within the roots. And then surrounding this cross-like shape, spherical, circular structure surrounding this cross-like cross shape is the flowing. So the xylem is the cross and the circles around it is a, um, is a flowing. Now when you go into the stem, you're going to find two rings. The outer ring is the phloem, and then the inner ring of tissues is the xylem. And then when you get into the leaf, the xylem is usually located above, it's close to the upper um, surface of the leaf, whereas the phloem is located below, that is close to the lower surface of the leaf. It's important to know this distribution and to be able to identify them. Um, when you see a, a diagram or a picture. Now let's talk about the transport of water and mineral ions. How is water transported into the plant and through the plant? How are mineral ions transported into the plant and through the plant? Mineral ions are first transported into the roots through the cell surface membrane of the rootier cells by the process of active transport. An ATP is required for this process to occur. Specific transport proteins located on the rootier cells are also involved. Many plants have fungi located on their roots. This association between roots of plant and fungi is usually called mycorrhiza. And this fungi facilitates the absorption of materials, large amounts of materials from the soil into the plant. And the fungi receives organic nutrients so it's a kind of symbiotic association the fungi receives organic nutrients from the plant and then the plant is able to obtain um, soil nutrients through the fungi now so entry of mineral ions into the root air cell causes a reduction in water potential within the root air cell so once water potential of this root air cell reduces water will move into the root air cell by osmosis from the soil which has higher water potential into the root cells which has what lower water potential and so as water moves into the root cells the cells become more turgid and forces water and ions present within the cell to move out of the root cell into the neighboring cortical cells of the plant root and then water and mineral ions move into the cortical cells by two pathways you have the apoplast pathway and you have the symplast pathway so the cortical cells, the cortex is comprising of many layers of cells. And so movement through the cortex is by these two pathways, the apoplast pathway and the symplast pathway. What is the apoplast pathway? This is the movement of water and ions from cell wall to neighboring cell wall. This pathway happens as a result of the adherence of water to the cellulose material of the cell wall. The water moves down the water potential gradient from one cell wall to neighboring cell wall. So it's called the apoplast pathway. And then the simplest pathway is the movement of water and mineral ions from the cell cytoplasm of one cell to the cell cytoplasm of a neighboring cell. For this simplest pathway to occur, water molecules and ions must cross the cell membrane or they can pass through the plasmodes matter. And for ions to cross the cell membrane or move and move from cell to cell, there must be specific carrier proteins 
on those cells so to transport those ions. Oh yeah, water can move readily because they are usually aquaporins to facilitate the movement of, of water. So the simplest pathway can involve movement from cell cytoplasm to cell cytoplasm through cell membrane or through plasmodes matter. Or it can involve movement from the cell wall into the cell cytoplasm through the cell membrane. Once we are crossing the cell membrane into the cell, that is the simplest pathway that is happening. So these two pathways facilitate movement of water mineral ions through the cortex. And so water moves from the soil into the root ear cells. From the root ear cells, it moves into the cortex and then it moves from one cortical cell to another all the way until it gets to the um, endodermis. Now at the endodermis, the apoplast pathway is interrupted due to the presence of deposits of a waterproof substance called chiberine on the cell wall of the endodermis. This suberin prevents water and mineral ions from moving through the apoplast pathway. And as a result, only ions with respective transport proteins can be transported across the membrane of the endodermal cells. And once they enter this cell, they can move further into neighboring cells and then further into the pericycle before eventually entering the um, xylem. Suberin like I said, prevents water mineral ions from moving across the cell wall, from moving across the um, apoplast pathway. Therefore, they must pass through the simplest pathway, that is from cell cytoplasm to cell cytoplasm. But before they can even enter, just imagine, a particular ion has been following the apoplast pathway all the way from the beginning of the cortex until the end. And so for it to cross the endodermis, it must essentially enter into the cell. And for that ion to enter into the cell, there must be a specific carrier for it on the cell membrane of the endodermal cell. So this ion carries it into the endodermal cell, and once it enters into the endodermal cell, it can move from that endodermal cell to another cell further along, and then until it gets to the pericycle. So these suberin deposits on the cell wall of the endodermal cell gives the endodermis a strip-like appearance. And this strip-like appearance is called the Casparian strip. So we have looked at transport of water mineral ions from the root, from the soil, into the root. So water moves from the soil. Mineral ions move in first, then water moves. And then once water enters, water begins to move all the way down until you get to the xylem. And as water is moving, the dissolved mineral ions are being transported along. Why? Because these ions are what? They are soluble in water. They are able to form dipole-dipole interaction with water and so they can move along. We already talked about that in chapter 2 of the of the syllabus. So water moves from the root ear cell into the cortex, from the cortex to the endodermis, from the endodermis to the pericycle, and then from the pericycle into the xylem. Now water moves across the xylem as a result of pressure gradient and as a result of coercive forces between water molecules and as a result of adhesive forces between water molecules and the walls of the xylem. Note those three things. Number one is what? Pressure gradient. There is high pressure at the base of the xylem and there is low pressure at the top of the xylem. Number two is what? Coercive forces between the water molecules. And then number three is adhesive forces between water molecules and the walls of the xylem. In the parts of the xylem within the roots, hydrostatic pressure is high due to the continual entry of water from the soil into the roots and the movement of water out of the neighboring flowing vessels into the xylem. We're going to talk about that particular part later when we get to talk about the, the flowing. In the part of the xylem within the leaf, hydrostatic pressure is low 
due to the continual evaporation of water from the mesophile cells into the substomatal hair spaces. So this creates the pressure gradient within the xylem that allows water and dissolved substance to continually move up the xylem. There are two forces that contribute to this thing. Number one is called the root pressure and the second force is called transpiration pool. We'll talk more about that later on. Now, movement of water mirrors through the xylem is also facilitated by adhesive forces between water molecules and between the cellulose materials present on the walls of the xylem. So you have strong cohesive forces also between water molecules and that keeps water molecules attracted to each other, thus forming a continuous stream within the xylem. And so as water is being transported, the dissolved ions are being transported along um, with the water up the xylem. So once water gets to the um, part of the xylem within the leaf, what happens? Water moves down water potential gradient from within the xylem into neighboring mesophile cells. And so water moves out of the xylem into those mesophile cells through the apoplast pathway. And then it moves from mesophile cell to mesophile cell through the simplest pathway or through the apoplast pathway. When you say apoplast pathway, remember I said earlier on, movement from cell wall to cell wall. And then simplest pathway means what? Movement from cell cytoplasm to cell cytoplasm through the cell membrane or through the plasmodes matter. And so as water is moving from one mesophile cell to another mesophile cell, it's also transporting the mineral ions that are dissolved along with it. So some mineral ions will enter into the cell and they will be used for various reactions. Some water will enter also, but some water will, will evaporate from the walls of the mesophile cells into the substomatal air spaces. So as this water evaporates, it causes water vapor pressure to build up within the leaf and it leads to the movement of water vapor from within the intercellular air spaces within the leaf into the surrounding atmosphere through the stomata. This movement of water vapor out of the leaf of the plant through the stomata is known as transpiration. Transpiration. So you get the flow. As water leaves the xylem, it moves to the nearest mesophacel and then water moves from mesophacel to mesophacel to mesophacel and some of the water enters mesophacel, some of it evaporates into the substomata air spaces within the leaf and then the water vapor diffuses out through the stomata into the surrounding atmosphere. So this process keeps on occurring, it keeps on occurring. Movement water moves into the root, through the xylem, from the xylem into the mesophile cells of the leaf. Now. There's a theory called the cohesion tension theory, one of the theories used to explain the movement of water through the xylem. And what does it mean basically? It basically refers to the strong cohesive forces between the water molecules that causes water molecules to pull on each other and to pull themselves up the xylem. Now this pull is a force that is created by the process of transpiration. Remember that transpiration is happening in the leaf as so as water is evaporating it lowers water potential and so more water will move out of the xylem into those what mesophile cells to replace water that has evaporated so that force is a strong pulling force that causes water to keep on moving up the xylem because you are talking of many leaves you have many leaves in the plant and you just imagine a tree for example you have so many leaves and so each leaf is contributing little little force and said all these forces had up to cause what a strong force that keeps water moving up the xylem so that force is what we call transpiration pull 
The other force is called root pressure. That root pressure is built up, is maintained by the continual entry of um, ions and water into the root. It causes hydrostatic pressure to build up, and so it, it's more like a pushing force. Transpiration pull is a pulling force, whereas root pressure is a, is a pushing force that pushes water and mineral ions up the xylem. Okay, so let's go into another um, aspect. It's called transpiration. What is transpiration? What is transpiration? Transpiration is a loss of water vapor into the external atmosphere from the aerial parts of plants. It basically involves the evaporation of water from the surface of the cell walls of the spongy mesophile cells within the leaf. This water vapor stays within the substomata air spaces. And then when the stomata of the leaves open for gaseous exchange to occur, the water vapor diffuses out through the stomata from high water potential within the leaf to low water potential in the surrounding atmosphere around the leaf. So there's high water vapor. Let me let's use high water vapor pressure. There's high water vapor pressure within the leaf, but then there's low water vapor pressure outside in the atmosphere surrounding the leaf. So once the stomata opens for gaseous exchange to occur, water vapor will what will diffuse out of the leaf. So this is the reason why transpiration is described as an inevitable consequence of gaseous exchange. The stomata did not open for water vapor to diffuse out. Rather, the stomata opened for carbon dioxide to diffuse into the leaf. The leaf needs carbon dioxide for photosynthesis. So the stomata opened for CO2 to diffuse into the leaf. But that also created an avenue for what? For water vapor to diffuse out of the leaf. So that's transpiration. Now, what are the factors affecting transpiration? There are four major factors we're going to be looking at. There are many factors, but we're going to focus on four major factors. And then I'll mention some other factors briefly. Number one is temperature. The higher the environmental temperature, the greater the rate of transpiration. Why? This is because high temperature favors faster rate of evaporation of water from the surface of the mesophile cells. So, once temperature is increased, as temperature increases, more water vapor will more water vapor will be formed, and so the rate of transpiration tends to increase. However, some plants have the ability to close many of their stomata whenever environmental temperature is high, higher than normal, and water availability in the environment is low. This is an adaptive feature that basically helps to ensure that the plant does not lose too much water to the environment by transpiration. So the first factor that affects rate of transpiration is what? Temperature. The second factor is relative humidity, atmospheric humidity. The higher the humidity, the lower the rate of transpiration. What's humidity? Humidity basically is a measure of the water vapor present in the atmosphere. So if the humidity is high, the um, water vapor gradient across the stomata will be what? Will be low. The water vapor gradient across the surface of the stomata will be low. And this will result in what? Lower rate of um, transpiration, lower rate of diffusion of water vapor out of the leaves. The third factor is wind speed. Wind speed. The higher the wind speed, the greater the rate of transpiration. Why? High wind speed blows away the water vapor that has diffused out of the leaf. And so high wind speed helps to ensure that water vapor is continually being blown away. It prevents water vapor from accumulating and this helps to ma maintain a high diffusion gradient across the surface of the stomata. The fourth factor is sunlight. 
sunlight basically causes the stomata to open so when sunlight is available that's during the day the rate of transpiration is high and when sunlight is not available for example during the night the rate of transpiration is usually low plants that grow in shade areas that is in forest under the cover of large trees usually have lower transpiration rates compared to plants that are in more that are more exposed that are in more direct exposure to sunlight so sunlight also affects the rate of transpiration so that's the, these are the four major factors temperature relative humidity wind speed and sunlight other factors have to do with the plant itself the leaves of the plant number one you have stomata distribution the greater the number of stomata the faster the rate of transpiration the higher the rate of transpiration the stomata size is also a factor the bigger the stomatal aperture the faster the rate of transpiration another factor is waxy cuticle the thicker the waxy cuticle on the surface of the leaf the lower the rate of transpiration and then the leaf area also so leaves with great um, surface area leaves with a large surface area or usually experience greater rate of um, transpiration now let me say this very very important I talked about transpiration pool area on so transpiration is a f creates that this force called transpiration pool and as transpiration is occurring during the day what generally happens is that the the, the xylem tends to um, reduce in diameter slightly so when all the xylem vessels within the trunk of a tree reduces in diameter there will be a slight overall reduction in diameter of the trunk of a tree as the rate of transpiration increases so this is when we look at a tree um if you track you want to measure the changes in the diameter of the trunk of a tree over the course of the day what you are going to observe is that as light intensity increases as the sun shines brighter and brighter the diameter of the tree trunk tends to reduce why because transpiration rate is what is increasing and so it's causing that pressure to be great causing a kind of slight um, reduction in the um, size of the lumen of the um, xylem vessel and that translates to a decrease in the diameter of the trunk of the tree so that's just something important to note now Adaptations of plants to minimize water loss by transpiration. Plants that can minimize water loss by transpiration are referred to as xerophytes. What are their features? Number one, some of them have small leaves. The smaller the leaf, the slower the, the lower the rate of transpiration. That's number one. Number two, some of them have thick waxy cuticle. Some of them have um, stomata only on the lower surfaces. They don't have stomata on their upper surfaces. Okay, some of them have hairs or trichomes on the surface of their leaves. So these hairs or trichomes helps to trap air, air, hair, so that it helps to create, um, maintain um, high water, I mean, maintains um, high water vapor close to the surface of the leaf so that the water vapor gradient across the surface of the leaf is reduced. Some leaves also have lower number of stomata per unit area of leaf. Some leaves have reduced, um, some leaves have reflective cuticle on their upper epidermis. Some leaves have thicker epidermis. And some leaves have curled or rolled leaves. And some leaves have sunken stomata. So these are all features of xerophytes, features that help them to minimize water loss by transpiration. All right, let's go to the final part phloem. How are materials transported? in the fluid the transport of materials in the flame occurs in three stages let's break it down into three stages the first stage is called loading and then the second stage is called mass flow 
and then the third stage is called unloading so loading mass flow and unloading the first product of photosynthesis is called triosphosphate and this molecule is used to synthesize different substances such as sucrose fatty acids amino acids glycerol and nucleic acids all these simple products are called assimilates and they can be transported to other parts of the plant where they are used to synthesize other essential macromolecules such as proteins, lipids, cellulose and starch. The transport of these assimilates from the source, that is from the leaf or from the mesophyll, to the sink, that is to the flower, to the fruit, seed, stem, board, root, tuber or young leaf, merry stem, pollen, nectar, or course through the phloem. So how does loading happen? Loading refers to the process by which assimilates are actively transported into the phloem from neighboring mesophile cells through the companion cells. Sucrose is loaded into the sieve tubes by the activity of companion cells. How hydrogen ions are first of all actively transported out of the companion cell by hydrogen pumps located on a membrane of the companion cell. This causes the concentration gradient of hydrogen ions to build up across the cell membrane of the companion cell. And the hydrogen ions are transported back into the companion cells along with sucrose by co-transport proteins and so this causes water potential within the companion cell to reduce resulting in the entry of water into the companion cell from the neighboring cells so once water enters into the companion cell hydrostatic pressure builds up within the companion cell and sucrose and water move out of the companion cell through the plasmodes matter into the connected sieve tube element so that's the process of loading that's the process of loading now after loading mass flow occurs as sucrose and other assimilates are moved into the sieve tube elements from the source that is from the mesophile cell water potential reduces and this causes more water to enter into the sieve element from neighboring cells and xylem vessels and as a result hydrostatic pressure builds up within the sieve elements and causes material, sucrose, other assimilates and water to move through the phloem from region of high hydrostatic pressure to regions of low hydrostatic pressure. This movement of large volume of various materials from region of high hydrostatic pressure to regions of low hydrostatic pressure is what we describe as mass flow. So mass flow occurs, allows materials to move from high hydrostatic pressure to low hydrostatic pressure. Now, what happens at the sink? Unloading occurs. At the sink, hydrostatic pressure is low. Why? This is because assimilates, when they reach the sink, they are either used up or they are converted in other forms and stored. For example, sucrose can be converted into starch and stored. So, what happens at the sink is that sucrose, for example, is transported out of the flowing by special transfer cells and then these transfer cells will then transfer them into the cortical cells of the root where they are stored. So the sucrose is transported into the cortical cell and converted into starch. And once starch is formed, what happens? The water potential, once sucrose is transported out of the um, phloem, what happens? Water potential in that part of the phloem will increase. And so water moves out of that part of the phloem into the surrounding xylem vessels in that area. You know, this part that we are referring to is within the root. So water moves out of the phloem into the world, into the neighboring xylem vessels by osmosis. And so 
this is what happens when we say um, unloading. So during unloading, sucrose is transported out of the flowing sieve tube element and then transferred into the um, cortical cells of the root where it is converted to starch. And so that results in an increase in water potential within the phloem and that leads to the what movement of water from the phloem into neighboring dialect vessels and then water goes back up the plant through the xylem. So this basically are the processes involved in the transport of materials through the through the plants through multicellular plants. We've talked about movement of um, water mineral ions into the roots. We've talked about movement of water mineral ions through the roots to the xylem, from the xylem and then up the plant into the leaves and then from the xylem into the mesophyll cells. Then we've talked about transpiration, factors affecting transpiration, adaptations of plants for transpiration. And then we talked about the structure of the different parts, the cells and the tissues that constitute the plant transport system. And then we talked about the flow. So please go over this again, refresh it.